Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam Rowe. I'm one of the pastors at our Wilmington campus, and I am so excited and honored to be with you here this morning, wherever you find yourself. It's been quite the week, hasn't it? I've been trying, kind of racking my brain over the last week to to find a comparable experience, something that I can ground what I'm going through in. And the closest thing that I can really get to is 9-11. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but if you are old enough to remember, I bet you know exactly where you were that morning. I I can tell you where I was. I was asleep. I was a college student. I was a sophomore. And one of my roommates came into the room and he said, Adam, you've got to get up. And I was not happy about being woken up because I am generally never happy about being woken up. And so I don't know what I said, but I think I said something a little bit rude and I rolled back over and he did not take no for an answer. He actually reached, he grabbed my foot, he shook me hard and he said, Adam, something has happened, you have to get up. And something, something in his tone startled me. I had never heard that from him before. And so I jumped out of bed, I walked out of my dorm and into a day that changed the world around us forever. And something about this, it just feels similar to me at the moment. We're, we're living through something bigger than ourselves. We're living through something unexpected. We're living through something that confronts us with the ideas of mortality and lack of control. Uh, we're living through something that makes us feel small. And I think we've got a couple of ways that we can do that. We can, we can bunker down, we can hunker down, we can try to like protect ourselves and cut ourselves off from the world, or we can try to face it as a community and do it together. Now, I mean, I know which one I would pick, but, but I can hear you already thinking and asking, how, how would I come together as a community? How would I live through something like this when I've been expressly ordered not to gather? And I, and I think that's a great question. And I'll say, I clearly don't have all the answers. I mean, as similar as this feels to that moment in time, uh, none of us have lived through something like this together. But I do follow the God who has all the answers. I do follow the God who I am assured is not surprised, the God who is prepared, and the God who I believe strongly has been preparing us. So what I'd like to invite you to do is I'd like to invite you to just take a moment with me, and I'd like our whole community, wherever we find ourselves, to take a moment and we're going to pray together. I want to give you a moment to literally just take a deep breath, and I want to invite you to pray with me in this moment. You can feel, pray, feel free to pray for the community. You can feel free to pray for our nation, our world. You could pray for me if you want, or you could just breathe deeply and allow those breaths to calm the potential inner turmoil that this is bringing up. And in about 10 seconds, I will pray for us as a whole. So let's bow our heads together, and then we'll pray. Lord God, we're living through a moment that feels strange. Uh, We're living through a moment that feels different to us than anything we've experienced before. And it's forcing us to readjust our habits. It's forcing us to readjust our attitudes. Um, I mean, it's even physically separating us from one another. But we know that you are a God who walks with us through things like this, that you are a God who is not surprised, that you are a God who is always prepared. So Lord, we, we turn to you in this moment. And we say, how can we live into this moment as those who follow Jesus Christ? How can we live into this moment in a way that is uh, healthy and and helpful, but also a blessing to those around us? 
So Lord, I ask, would you speak to us this morning? Would you continue to speak to us throughout the week? Would you walk with us through it as so many of us feel a a bit cut off at this time? So we thank you for your presence in our lives and we ask, would you let us be a presence, the presence of Jesus in the lives of those around us? Amen. So if you're joining us for the first time or the second time today, or if you missed the last few weeks, we were in the middle of a series called Bless. And what we were doing is we were asking a question, a simple and I think an important question. It was this, how do we live in this world in such a way that we best demonstrate God's heart towards the people around us? So we were asking this question, and last week we took a break from it because we wanted to speak specifically into what we were going through. But this week we want to re-engage with that. Because this question, I feel, is just as important today as it was a month ago. In fact, it's probably more important today than it was when we started. So we're going to ask this question again. The the specifics of our actions, and it might change, but the principles behind it don't. So we're still asking this. How do we live in this world as people who best demonstrate God's heart towards those around us? So we're going to continue to try to answer it today, but what we're going to do is we're going to take it from two different angles. So we're going to look at it, one, like for today, how do we live into this in this present moment that we all find ourselves in, and then how do we prepare ourselves to live into it for the moments that we know are going to come when this is all over? Uh, In other words, how do we best demonstrate God's heart to people today and beyond? So what we did the first week is we started with our identity, who we are. We started with the fact that we are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, the, the, the reality that we find in Scripture is that we were never meant to hoard the blessings of God to ourselves. We were never meant to hoard it to ourselves, to our families, our tribes, our nations. From the very beginning, the nation of Israel was intended to be blessed by God so they could be a blessing for the nations. And that's God's intent for us today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his intent for you and for me is that I am a blessing to my neighbors and to my friends and to my coworkers. So we were never meant to be consumers. We were actually meant to be blessers. Now, now I know the grammar people among us might, might like cringe a little of that word. I was even when I wrote it out, you know, like blessers. But, but the reality is that God has intended from the beginning for our attitudes and our actions towards people to be active. We were never meant to just sit back and consume the blessings of God. And so as we live in a culture that calls us consumers, and, and as we consume and do all this kind of stuff, God wants to say, no, this is not the way I intended you to be towards your neighbors. What I give to you is for you to give to others and bless others through you. So we were never meant to be consumers. We were meant to be blessers. We were meant to be a blessing. So what that does is it leaves us with an interesting question. If that is true, then how do we do this? Especially in times like this, but also on the other side of this crisis. So what we've been doing is we've been answering that question with five simple practices. Practices that will help us change our hearts towards other people and practices that will help us best demonstrate God's heart towards them in the process. And in order to make it easy to remember, we've been using the acrostic BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. Now, I will admit, a couple days ago, I did recommend that we change the acrostic to B-R-A-D-Y, after Tom Brady's announcement. Um, I, actually, I even had one of my coworkers said, oh, the, the last week would be perfect. It would just be, why, God, why? And the more I thought about it, you know, as much as I loved it, a five-week series on how we can grieve the loss of the goat, 
might not have been exactly what we needed. And for those of you who are out there thinking, you know, I don't get it, why do we even care? You're honestly probably a little better off. So we're going to stick with bless, B-L-E-S-S. But what I want to do is I want to remind you where we've been in this. So what I'm going to ask for you is I'm going to, I'm going to actually ask for a little bit of interaction at home where you're at. If you're with people, I'm going to give you a prompt and I want to give you just a, a brief five seconds or so to respond to it. If you're watching alone, if you want to grab a pen and some paper and you can write it down. Kids, if you want to go and grab some art supplies, grab some pens, paper, crayons, markers, whatever, write the word bless in big letters, ask somebody if you need help, and then just whatever comes to mind as you're listening to the stories we're about to tell, uh, draw it out. I would love to see that. So let's start with the first one. Let's remind ourselves where we were. We're going to start with B. What does bless stand for? You got five seconds at home. Go. So the first one, B, is simple. It's just begin with prayer. Quick high five if you got that right. Tell somebody. But for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, like anything else in our life, uh, it begins with prayer. Prayer is simply just a conversation between me and God. We, we practiced, practiced it earlier. But everything I interact with, everything I do, it's meant to start with a conversation with me and my Heavenly Father. So whatever I'm going to do, however I want to be a blessing, I don't want to go about it myself. I want to start by asking my father, you know, what do you have for me today? What have you prepared for me today in order to bless my neighbors, my friends, and my coworkers? So we begin with prayer, and when we do it, we find ourselves present to God and others in a new way. So let's go to the next one. If we begin with prayer, what do we need to do next? You have five seconds. Go. The second one, so we begin with prayer, and then once we've begun with prayer, what we do is we listen with care. We have people all around us who are desperate for somebody to listen to their needs, their hurts, their frustrations, their joys. And so our first goal with people is not to talk at them. We don't want to come in and say, here's how I'm going to be a blessing to you today. We want to sit and listen to them. We listen first, we talk second, and we talk when we are invited to talk. And what happens when we do that is we find that people are actually blessed when we listen with care. Often for a lot of people, that's just the first step, and sometimes that's all they're really looking for. So we begin with prayer, we listen with care, and then does anybody know where we are now? If you paid attention to the intro video, if, if you're following along on the bookmarks we gave you, where are we at today? Today we're on my favorite. Today we're on eating together. And I love this one because like many of you, I love to eat. I know there's, there's some people around me. I, I've got cousins and friends. I've got some people that they're like food is fuel people. Uh, but for a lot of us, we just love to eat. There's something about a good meal together. So one more time. At home, turn to somebody next to you. If you're, if you're alone, write it down, whatever it is. If you're a kid, draw it out. And real quick, you've got five seconds to lightning fast share. What's your favorite meal or food? Go. All right, I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is sushi. I love, I mean, love sushi. I would eat sushi every day. If I was made of money, I would eat sushi so much more than I do. And, and my three-year-old Truman, 
it blows my mind. He loves sushi. I didn't try it until I was 25. And here he is three. Every single time that we talk about ordering out, he just runs around the house and he says, sushi, dada, sushi, mama. He just yells sushi at the top of his lungs. I love it. We've all got a meal we love. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're three or you're 93. There's something about a good meal that brings us together in something we love. And what's awesome about it is it's not just true today. This was also true in Jesus' day as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a recorded interaction that we have with Jesus from one of the biographies of him we find in the New Testament. And then we're going to move into how we can practice what Jesus was doing in this present day and beyond. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible at hand, you can turn to that yourself. If you've got a Bible app, we'll also put it up on the screen here together as we go. But Luke, the author, introduces us to a man named Levi in this story, and he does it simply this way. It says, later as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. All right, now, in order to fully appreciate this story, there's some things you need to know about Levi and what's going on here. The first one is just simply this. We gotta remind ourselves all the time, Levi was a real person, uh, just because sometimes we say Bible story, it's almost like we get ourselves into a mindset that, that, that these are made up. No, this was a real person living in first century Israel, and he was a Jew. So this is a story about someone just like you and me. And he has um, a couple of names, which I find fascinating. You see, because of the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire had actually pulled all of these different cultures and languages and peoples together, often at this time, people had multiple different names. So a Jew might have two to three different names. They'd have their Jewish name, they would have a Roman name, and often they'd even have a Greek name. So the name that we're given here in this story is Levi, and that name is his Roman name. But the name he's better known by is Matthew. So we're, but, you know, we know Matthew, but here we're being introduced to him as Levi. And at this point, he's going by that, he's known as that. And I actually think that raises a couple of very interesting possibilities. Here's the first one. First, I wonder at this stage if his Romanness was more important to him than his Jewishness. His Roman citizenship, I think, might have been more important to him than his background. Now, Luke, the author, was not a Jewish person. He was not a Jew. He was actually what the Jews call a Gentile, a non-Jew. And he was writing this book to a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews. So it, it, it might be that he just used the name that everyone would connect with in his audience better. But the thing about Luke is Luke was a historian. He was actually interviewing eyewitnesses, and the eyewitnesses remembered him at this stage as Levi. So I think that, that points to a couple of interesting possibilities, that the eyewitnesses at the time remember him as Levi, I think speaks to something important about how this largely Jewish audience saw him. And that leads me to my second point. His profession, and this we can be pretty sure on, was far more important to him at this stage than his cultural heritage or his community. In fact, when we meet him, he's just introduced to us simply as a tax collector named Levi. Now, that, that might not mean a whole lot to us today, but that statement at the time was heavy with cultural implications. You see, a tax collector was somebody who worked for the Roman government, and they earned a commission off of what they were able to collect from the people, and then they could take whatever on top of that they could take, they'd put it into their own pocket. So often, 
tax collectors were taking far more than they needed and they were enriching themselves off of the people that they were serving. On top of that, for Jews, because tax collectors often were interacting with non-Jews, it left them unclean, religiously unclean. And so to interact with a tax collector left you unclean as well. So to a Jew, you need to understand this, a tax collector. So to say, you wouldn't probably just say tax collector, you would say tax collector. Because you would look at them as someone who is a lying, thieving, dirty traitor. This is a person who had forsaken their cultural heritage to you, who had joined with the Roman oppressors, and who was enriching themselves off the suffering of their fellow Jews. So it's not just a job. It was something that changed your cultural heritage. It was something that changed your, your position in the community. And what it meant was that at this day, in Jesus' day, if you were a Jew who became a tax collector, you shamed your family, you shamed your friends, and you were excommunicated from the synagogue, essentially cutting you off from Jewish social life. So when he says a tax collector named Levi, there's a whole lot mixed into that statement. But what's fascinating, what I love in here, is that Jesus doesn't seem to care Let's, let's keep in mind, let's remind ourselves, Jesus was a real person. Jesus was living in first century Israel. Jesus was a Jew. And more than that, he was a rabbi. He was a religious leader. And yet he walks right up to Levi and interacts with him, which is already surprising. But then he invites him to be his disciple, which is shocking. But then what he does next is downright scandalous. Let's read. It says, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Now hear this line. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Notice how Luke makes sure to tell you that there's a bunch of tax collectors there and other guests. He doesn't tell you what every person is there, but he wants you to know that this is a place and a meal and a party filled with lying, thieving, dirty traitors. And right there in the middle of it is Jesus. It's fascinating. And the religious leaders who are watching from the outside, they are scandalized, absolutely uh, just like up in arms over this. And this is what Luke says. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? With such trash? Why are you eating with these traitorous, dirty, cheating, lying, fill in the blank? Why are you eating with such scum? I mean, you can hear the, the venom in there and you understand it a little bit because what was Jesus doing in there with them? There's something about sitting down, something about going into somebody's home, something about sharing a meal with them that is actually remarkably intimate, is it not? And it's why so many of our first dates are over a meal. It's why so many of our best conversations are over food. It's why we both celebrate and mourn around a table. And it's why for so many of us, we miss this interaction with our friends and family around the country right now. In eating together, there's a unique emotional vulnerability that we share. Uh, we're literally, to the, to the one who's inviting, you are offering them your home, your space, your life. You are sharing with them something you created. You are sharing your lives. And Jesus is doing this with a bunch of lying, thieving, dirty traitors. Why? Well, luckily for us, he answers that question. Jesus answered them and he said this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. 
I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The the first part of that line in there is interesting. It comes from a well-known proverb at the day, and the proverb was, those who are well have no need of a physician. So it's something that everybody would have known. It's, it's like us saying to somebody, an apple a day, and everybody else can kind of fill that in. So Jesus starts that way, but then what he does is he actually goes and he takes it a step further and he explains his specific mission. He says, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That word righteous there is being used ironically. I mean, you can almost hear the sarcasm. I have not come to those who think They are righteous. What Jesus is saying is, I'm here because there are those who realize their need and they welcome me. And what I love about this story is I feel like in a time like this, where we're at right now, we all recognize our need. We're all at a place where we realize our need. In times like these that are, that are thankfully rare throughout history, we tend to realize our own lack of control in a new way. The rapper Lecrae just tweeted this this week, and I, and I loved it. He said, we haven't lost control of our lives. What we've lost is the illusion that we were ever in control. Moments like this, losing that illusion makes us deeply uncomfortable. We aren't used to things we can't control or manage or just throw a bunch of money at and fix. We're at the mercy of a situation like this. So it brings us to, I think, the final big question that this story brings up, and it's this. Is there an opportunity for us in this moment? As we are recognizing our own need, as we are faced with something bigger than us, is there an opportunity for us to interact with our Heavenly Father, with God, with Jesus, in a way that reminds us who we really are? The way I was really meant to be, the way I was really meant to to trust, the way I was really meant to look to God for provision? Is there a way for us to grow and mature in this situation? But then... On top of that, is there a way for us to offer some of those things to the friends and family and coworkers around us who are also feeling their need? I think there's an incredible opportunity here, and I think God has already gone ahead of us. I think he's already preparing the way. I think all we have to do is we just have to follow him into it. Let me bring you back to that that Tuesday 18 years ago uh, to 9-11. I went to a Christian college at the time where worship services like this were kind of a regular part of our rhythm. And earlier that year, when we arrived in August, we walked back onto a campus that somehow felt different. There was, there was this new atmosphere. Uh, our worship services were, were full, more full, better attended. Students were singing with passion. It, it felt like God was moving in our midst all of that August and early September. And I remember having all these conversations with other students saying, what's going on? What's happening? What, this feels different than last year. What do you think, we kept asking over again, what do you think God is doing? And then we woke up on that fateful morning And by that afternoon, we found ourselves in the chapel as we were discussing what to do. And and the college was saying, you know, in light of this tragedy, what we're going to do is we're going to open our doors and our worship spaces to the community. And we watched over the next weeks and months as churches across the nation opened their doors, opened their hearts and their arms and welcomed in people who, for the very first time in a long time, were desperately feeling their need. And as we watched this, we realized something. God wasn't surprised 
by what had just happened. God wasn't caught off guard. God had actually been preparing us for that moment and he'd been preparing the church nationwide for that moment. So I believe strongly God is not surprised today. He's not surprised that you are sitting where you are right now, that you are watching it in the way that you are, that we are producing it in the way that we are. He is not surprised by what is going on. He has gone ahead of us, and I trust fully that he has prepared us for this moment. I mean, just think about the fact that we are right smack dab in the middle of a series about how we can best demonstrate God's heart to those around us in the middle of this crisis. It's amazing. God is not surprised. He has gone ahead of us and he is preparing us, and he will walk us through it. Our specific practices, I think, might have to change. I mean, a few weeks ago, as I was preparing for this message, it was a pretty simple one. It was ask God to bring to heart people that that might feel overlooked, invite them over to your house for a meal, and sit around and elevate them at your table, listen to them, all of those things. But, you know, clearly we, we can't be doing exactly that today. But what we can do is we can ask ourselves, What was it that Jesus was really doing at that dinner? Beyond just having a fantastic meal with a whole bunch of dirty lying, whatever, beyond just making the religious leaders mad, what was he actually doing at that meal? Here's what he was doing. He was at that meal because there were people who recognized their need, people that needed Jesus, people he never would have interacted with at a synagogue. And what he was doing is he was seeing people that felt unseen, He was loving people that felt unlovable. He was elevating people that had been excluded. And no matter the situation that we live in, no matter what the next few weeks or months bring up, like those principles will never change. We still need to see those who feel unseen. We still need to love those who feel unlovable. We still need to elevate those who feel excluded. And church, we have an opportunity, an incredible opportunity opportunity to do just that. So what I want to do is, is I want to give you a couple of stories from a couple other staff members. One is a story for today, like kind of the way we can live into this today, and another is a story for us to be thinking and pondering on for what is to come next. So let's watch. Hey everyone, I'm Taylor. I'm the director of middle school ministry at our Lexington campus. I think we can all agree that these past couple weeks have been a bit unusual. And as someone who's fairly extroverted, it's been a little rough, these periods of isolation and being alone all the time. And so I've been trying to think of creative ways that I can still be connected to my friends and maintain our relationships even when we're miles apart from one another. And there's one family in particular at Grace that I've been really getting to know over the course of this past year. And this week we've realized that we have a tendency to FaceTime each other during dinner time. And instead of hanging up and kind of moving on with our separate lives, we've propped each other up in our kitchens in order that we can prepare our meals together. And then we get to eat our meals together. And then we even clean up together. And by practicing this and by sharing a meal and sharing our lives, I know we've both been able to experience a sense of community, even in our own pockets of isolation. It's been a real blessing, and I've found it extremely meaningful. Good morning, Grace Chapel. It is great to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is Sunny Taves, and I'm the Director of Community Care, and I get to talk to you about eating and why it is important to me. The Grace Chapel staff, along with anyone who knows me, would say, Sunny loves to eat, which is very, very true. However, I love to eat with people and share a meal together. 
Um, I like to cook for our staff to show that I care for them and to promote fellowship. And one of my fondest memories would be this past Thanksgiving when I was able to cook a meal for them. We were able to pause from our daily schedules. We were able to come down into the kitchen, pray for the meal, and have fellowship together. We shared a meal while talking, laughing, joking. And that is why eating is so important to me. It really promotes togetherness. And when we share a meal together, it allows us to make connections that eventually turn into deeper relationships. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what language you speak, what your profession is, or how much money you have. Instead, you find laughter and joy, a sense of comfort, knowing that, hmm, things are going to be okay. We are able to be the church with one another and love one another as God loves us. And Jesus took time in his ministry to eat with people, with all of his people from all walks of life. May we follow in his example and be his hands and feet. I would love to connect with you via phone, email, or even Zoom. So please do not hesitate to call me, email me, or send me an invite for a Zoom meeting. I hope you guys are all remaining well, stay healthy and safe, and God bless. Bye. So here's the thing. None of us have ever lived through something like this before. None of us are experts. We're all figuring this out together. So that's why I want to invite you to be a part of this community with us through this. Bring us your ideas. Bring us your thoughts. Let's figure this out together. We don't exactly know what to do, but we do know that food brings people together. We do know that Jesus saw those who felt excluded and that he brought them together around a meal. And I do believe strongly that we can still live this way now and we must still live this way now. Maybe not physically around a table, uh, but maybe we find other ways to connect over a meal or over coffee. Uh, maybe this week, like Taylor was saying, maybe your, your small group decides we're going to cook a meal together corporately wherever we are. Here's a couple pictures of, of Taylor to give you a taste of what that looked like. Maybe one of your small group members, you pick a, a recipe, email it out to everybody, everybody gets what you need for it, and then that night you fire up Zoom or FaceTime or uh, Skype or anything like that and just set it up while you prepare. Once you're done, bring it out into the living room or the kitchen or whatever, sit down on the floor and have a socially distant and yet relationally connected picnic together. Uh, maybe you can think of somebody you know that, that lives alone, a coworker, a family, a friend, somebody that needs connection right now and you can invite them to have a coffee date with you. Just brew it at your own house, sit down at your own table. Each of you sit and talk about how much you love the smell and the taste and the warmth and, and then just get into regular life stuff. How are you doing? There's... Uh, there's this, this extension in Chrome called Netflix Party Families that you could use to connect your, your kids around a movie together. Maybe you invite everybody from your kid's class to come and sit and watch a synced movie together, and then you invite the parents to come and talk to you on Skype. So your kids are doing something fun together, and they're laughing together, they're getting to connect together, and then the parents are getting a break where you can all sit and talk and share ideas. There's a lot of different ways that we can do this. Students, I am positive that you have friends right now that are feeling uncomfortable and alone. I'm positive that you can think of somebody in your world that often feels unseen or unloved or excluded. God's got something for you. He has an opportunity for you in this moment to reach out and make an impact in the name of Jesus on them. Families, 
who feel like you're always running from one thing to the next to the next, from, so, from one sporting event to the next ballet recital to this and that. At this moment in time, uh, all of that is on pause. So we have an opportunity here to think a little differently about the way we live and what we're doing and who we are including. And through all of this, in however we're living this out, we need to remember that in times of need, when we are recognized and when we kind of recognize our lack of control, that we get an opportunity to be Jesus to people around us who are desperate for it. There's this beautiful line from Psalm 34 that I want to close with. And it just says this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. In order to really know something, you have to actually experience it. But I think there's a, a lot of people out there who, who feel that they don't love the church, they don't like Jesus, they don't like Christians, whatever it is. But in reality, they've just never really experienced the real thing. And we have an opportunity to allow them to experience the real thing. There's, there's plenty of other people who've never experienced anything with faith. And here we have an opportunity to invite them into our lives, invite them into our table, and let them experience Jesus through us. When we do that, when we bring someone to our table, we bring them and invite them into our mess, into our families, into our no filter, no curation, real lives. And when our real lives are about Jesus, when we love Jesus, that's just a part of who we are. And that gets to be something that people experience with us. So inviting, so in inviting them to our table, they get to sit down with not only you and me, but they get to sit down with Jesus as well. We might not be able to do it physically at the moment, but there are still myriad ways that we can invite people into our lives and in doing so, introduce them to Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us and then Pastor Brian will have a final word. Let's pray. Lord God, I wanna thank you for this moment. I wanna thank you for the opportunity to be here. I wanna thank you for this incredible community called Grace Chapel spread across campuses, spread across towns, spread across so many different places right now. Lord, you have scattered us out and we are meant to be a blessing. So Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have gone ahead of us. I thank you for the fact that I can count on you to have prepared the way. I thank you for the fact that each and every one of us is getting to live in, into kind of a, well, a new reality at the moment that if, if we live it with you, you will make beautiful things out of. So Lord, this week, as we think and as we pray and as we reflect, would you bring to mind people around us who are in desperate need of you? People who, like us, just like we are right now, have been reintroduced to their need and their lack of control. Lord, let me be a blessing to those around me. Let me demonstrate my heart to those who need to know yours. We ask this in the name of Jesus and his power. Amen. Well, thanks, Adam, for a great message and a great invitation to bless people simply by sharing a meal with them. That's got to be the easiest sermon application in the history of the world. Go eat! Now, I know we can't do that as freely as we'd like these days, but let's begin thinking now about who we're going to bless as soon as this thing is over by sharing a meal with them. And this thing will be over one of these days. In the meantime, Let's continue to bless the people who are already a part of our lives. We heard some creative ways of sharing meals today in the message. It can be as simple as calling someone on the phone, put it on speaker, set it down in the table, and just sit down and share a cup of coffee or a meal with someone. If you're a family, you might want to call a single friend and invite them to have dinner with you someday. And let's not forget to bless the people 
we're already sharing our meals with. Yeah, the members of your family, your roommates, the, the people you've been cooped up with all week. Make some of those meals special. Cook dinner together, bring out the fine china, put on some music, light some candles, have a picnic in the living room. Ask some good questions, listen with care to the answers. There are beautiful people seated around your table. Don't miss a chance to bless them and be blessed by them. Well, I'm Pastor Brian. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll be with us again next Sunday. But don't wait till then. We are online every day. Check out our Grace at Home page on our website. We've got some spiritual resources for you and for your family. Follow us on social media so you stay connected and know what's going on. If you haven't begun giving online, can I encourage you to do that? It'd be a great way to bless people in these days. We're doing everything we can to be the church in these challenging times. Your prayers, your engagement, and your financial gifts help us to do that. But until next time, may the Lord continue to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine. For His glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. Amen.